Chapter Three of the Black Star by Johnston McCulley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Three, Into the Pit. Instinct and experience told Verbeck that this sight might prove too much for Muggs, and he gripped the smaller man by the arm to indicate that he was to maintain quiet. It was well he did so, for subsequent proceedings were highly unusual and mysterious. The black star nodded to the other man and stepped across the room, where there was another small blackboard attached to the wall. When he stood before it, he nodded again, and the other picked up the chalk and started to write, and thus they conversed, each writing on his blackboard and erasing after the other had read. Number six, the man wrote. Countersign? Florida. Report, wrote the Black Star. Carried out your instructions, but was caught by Verbeck and his valet. Escaped when they went to call police. It seemed that the Black Star grew taller and straighter as he looked at the other man, and Verbeck and Muggs could see his eyes glittering through the black mask. They expected him to roar a rebuke, a denunciation, but he did not. He faced the blackboard again and wrote rapidly, "'You are a blunderer. We have no use for the man who fails.' "'I did not fail,' the other wrote on the board quickly. "'I put a black star on his bed and scattered others in library.' I was putting letter on desk when they caught me. Did you come straight here? No, I shook them off first. I got away before they raised an uproar. Came on owl car, got off several blocks back, and cut down the hill. The black star motioned for him to erase this last, and then walked slowly to the table. There was a pile of letters on one end of it, and the black star picked up one and read it, shook his head, and put the letter in the pocket of his robe. He pressed against the end of the table, and a drawer shot open. Verbeck and Muggs could see that the drawer was half filled with money and jewels. The black star took out some money and threw it on the table. He closed the drawer and walked back to his blackboard and picked up the chalk to write again, you will not be safe here for some time. Verbeck or his man might recognize you. Take that money and catch the first train for Chicago. Return and report one month from tonight at midnight. The other man read and bowed his head. There was no hesitancy in his manner. He acted like a man who had received orders that he knew he had to carry out. He went forward and picked up the money, and with it clutched in one hand, he backed to the door and lifted the other hand in salute to the Black Star. The Black Star nodded, and the other backed through the door and closed it. Muggs hurried across the room to the window to watch, while Verbeck remained gazing through the crack in the door at the Black Star, who sat down in the armchair and began inspecting the letters on the table. The minutes passed. Muggs returned 
and reported that the other man had put the robe and mask in the box and had slipped away through the trees. Still, the Black Star sat at the table, and that for which Verbeck had been waiting did not come to pass. The master criminal did not remove the mask from his face. Another adventure appealed to Verbeck now. He decided to face the Black Star in his den. He confided his intention to Muggs in whispers and gave his orders, and, disregarding Muggs's mouthings concerning his hunch, slipped across the room to the window and let himself out. He found the robe in the box and quickly put it on, then adjusted the black mask. Beneath the robe, his hand clutched the butt of his automatic. Searching the edge of the casement, he found a push-button and touched it with his finger. Inside, a bell tinkled. A few seconds passed, and then there was a sharp click, and the door flew open. Verbeck entered and closed the door after him. Before him was a long corridor, musty, the air in it rank, dust on walls and ceiling. It appeared that the entire house had not been renovated, only the one room. Verbeck slipped along the corridor to where a streak of light entered it, indicating a door. Holding the pistol ready beneath his robe, he opened the door and stepped into the room and stood beside the blackboard as the other man had done. The black star was not there. The second seemed hours as he waited, trying to keep his eyes away from the door behind which he knew Muggs was watching him, his ears strained to catch the first sound of the master criminal's approach. Then the door opened and the black star appeared and walked to his station on the other side of the room. He nodded his head, and Verbeck picked up chalk and eraser and turned to the blackboard. He was playing a dangerous game and did not know how soon he would be detected. He felt small fear, for Muggs was waiting to help him, and he had heard nothing, seen nothing, to indicate that the black star had allies in the house. Number four, Verbeck wrote on the board. Countersign? Florida, wrote Verbeck. He turned to find the Black Star's eyes glittering straight into his. The flaming jet on the hood seemed to be dancing in derision. Verbeck wondered whether he had made a mistake, and he soon found out, for the Black Star turned to the blackboard and wrote rapidly, Number four is a woman, and Florida is not her countersign. And then he faced Verbeck again. The crisis had arrived sooner than Verbeck had expected. The Black Star knew him for an intruder, and knew also that he must have observed a great deal to be able to don robe and mask and start the blackboard conversation. The master criminal could be expected to act with dispatch. Before the Black Star could make a move, Verbeck's robe parted and his left hand emerged, holding the pistol ready for instant action. With his other hand he waved toward the armchair, and then he spoke. "'Sit down and put your hands flat on the table.' His eyes still glittering into Verbeck's, 
the criminal obeyed. Standing at the end of the table, Verbeck confronted him, scarcely knowing what step to take next. The man before him did not speak, but those glittering eyes, burning, malevolent, ominous, seemed to cry out with surprise, hatred, and threats. "'So you are the Black Star,' Verbeck said. "'Quite a comedy you play here, huh? "'Masks hide faces and blackboards take the place of spoken words. "'A very clever crook, you. "'But I said a clever man could find you, and I say it again. "'This is the best proof of it, isn't it? "'You challenged me, and I have come.' So your man thought you had escaped, did he? If ever you see him again, tell him that his bonds were left loose purposely, so that he'd escape and could be shadowed here. Allow me, sir, Mr. Roger Verbeck, at your service. Verbeck raised a hand and tore off his mask and bowed low in irony, meanwhile watching his victim for he did not make the mistake of underestimating the cleverness of the man before him, and he was alert for tricks. He saw the Black Star's hands contract and his arms stiffen, and imagined the master crook calling down curses on the head of the man who had led enemies to his stronghold. Then the Black Star spoke, in a low, penetrating voice, almost a monotone, obviously disguising his real tones. "'I suppose you think you are very clever,' he said. "'I don't advertise my cleverness like some persons, and then fail to live up to my estimation of myself,' Verbeck replied. "'You have done something no outsider has done before. You have seen the Black Star in his workshop. That is, indeed, a rare privilege.' And, of course, you'll pay for it in the end. "'You think so?' Verbeck asked. "'I presume you started out with the intention of handing me over to your stupid police. The greatest and most difficult thing, you perhaps thought, would be to locate me. Well, you have located me, and your task is but begun.' "'Indeed!' "'It takes evidence to convict.' "'Naturally,' said Verbeck. "'Suppose I call the police now. "'How about the robe and mask you wear, "'that star, these blackboards, "'those printed letters identical with ones "'that have been received by the police and the newspapers? "'Evidence? "'This room is full of it.' "'But when you get right down to the point,' "'said the Black Star,' You'll want evidence of theft and burglary, you know. I never heard of a gang yet where someone wouldn't turn state's evidence. The Black Star chuckled, and through the slits in his mask his eyes seemed to be dancing with delight. That is just where my cleverness comes in, he said. To show you how little I fear you, Roger Verbeck, I'll tell you things no man knows except myself. I can tell you, for instance, and it is the truth, that the Black Star does have a band working for him, but that not one of them ever saw his face or heard his voice. 
Nonsense. Not nonsense, but the truth. So certain am I as to what is going to happen to you, Roger Verbeck, that I'll reveal secrets and show you how useless it would be to fight me before you, uh, cease to trouble me further. I say no member of my band ever saw my face or heard my voice, and it is the truth. I say, moreover, that I never saw the face of one of my band or heard his voice, that I know nothing of their names or identities, and whenever a crime is committed, I do not know which person or group does the work. Can you understand that? Turn state's evidence, Mr. Verbeck? Not a man of them knows a thing to tell, except against himself. Rot. The truth, said the Black Star. Attend me closely. I reveal my methods to you, because you'll never pass them on. I began my work years ago. I have a genuine partner, who is not in this city at the present time. When I decided to invade this town, he came here. He rented this old house and fixed up this one room in it. The furnishings were carted one at a time, and they were unloaded several blocks away and fetched here at night. When everything was ready, I came. My gang? This one man who knows me got the gang together. Every one of them is an expert in his particular time. Each was eager to work under me, for I am in a position to ensure success and big profits. My organization extends farther than you dream. Each man was fetched here and taught what to do. Here he comes to get orders and to report. There is no conversation except on the blackboard, and masks are always worn. At the first, these men drew numbers out of a box, and in addition I gave each a countersign. I issue orders by number, and they report by number. If I was on the witness stand at this moment and wanted to betray my men, I couldn't do it. I could only say that a certain crime was committed by number one, for instance, but if all were lined up before me, I couldn't swear they were members of my band, because I'd not know. Do you understand that, Mr. Roger Verbeck? Very clever, huh? We work together, yet were we to pass on the street, we'd not dream we knew one another. Absolute protection, you see? Hand me over to the police this minute, if you can, and it will avail you nothing. No jury would convict on the evidence that could be presented, and my organization, in a hundred different ways, would come to my rescue. I thought none of them knew you, said Verbeck. That is the truth. You do not understand everything yet. I have a band of men who do the real work, and I have an organization that collects knowledge I must have. Every man and woman in that organization has a very good reason for being loyal to me. Women? Yes, said the Black Star. Many women. People in every walk of life. 
and, naturally, I have arranged it so that I could harm them, but they could never harm me. I heard of your foolish boast of last night, didn't I? How do you suppose I knew that? And I can tell you the combination of the safe in your dressing room, Mr. Verbeck, if you are skeptical, and tell you also that there is nothing in it at the present time that we desire. There is a bundle of stock certificates and deeds in the upper right-hand pigeonhole, and a score or more old coins in a drawer at the bottom. "'How do you know that?' Verbeck demanded. "'I know a multitude of things, Mr. Verbeck. Get this idea in your head. I do not know the names or faces of my real workers, but I do know the identities of those who gather my information. I know them and could punish them, but they do not know me. Tidy little arrangement? I fancy you'll not find a flaw in it. You have deluded yourself into thinking it is perfect, replied Verbeck. Suppose one of your crooks is captured while committing a crime and brings the police down on you to save himself. He would not. If he kept his mouth closed, the organization would save him. If he played traitor, the organization would save me and see that he got the limit. I could convince you, if I wished to talk more, but I do not. I must protect the organization as it protects me. You have pitted your cleverness against mine, Mr. Verbeck, and you have been successful in your first attempt. You have located me. And now, what are you going to do about it? Suppose I hand you over to the police. Even if you could do that, and I am not admitting it, you'd be laughed at in the end, and I'd probably conclude by suing you for heavy damages. Believe me when I say everything has been thought of, and for every attack there is a defense arranged. Also, to hand me over to the police would be to warn all the others, and you'd have a difficult time convicting me without their testimony. And there is another thing. The Black Star hesitated. Say it, said Verbeck. I have said that my organization is far-reaching. If you meddled in my affairs, the chickens might come home to roost. You are up against something regarding the magnitude of which you know very little, Mr. Verbeck. I have only just begun my organization in this city, but already it is broad enough to cause you pain and chagrin, did I put it to work. I suppose, said Verbeck, that you imagine you are going to frighten me by this lot of pointless talk? You may be a very clever man in some things, Mr. Verbeck, but in this you are no better than a babe. Did I take the fancy to do so, I could make you one of my organization, too but you have gone too far for that. You have discovered too much. "'You'd make me join your band of crooks?' exclaimed Verbeck, laughing. "'I could force you to be a loyal and obedient member, believe me, if such was my desire. You do not realize, sir, the strength of the Black Star and his band. 
You do not realize how very little you know. You have heard my voice, that is true, and you have seen my workshop. But even you, Roger Verbeck, have not seen my face. And what is to prevent me from taking a look at it now? This, said the Black Star. You are standing at the end of the table with a pistol in your hand. I am seated, and my hands are on the table before me, so that you could fill me full of lead before I could get a weapon from beneath my robe. But the toe of my left shoe, Mr. Verbeck, is resting on a button in the floor, a button that works a trigger, and you are standing over a cement-lined pit twelve feet deep. Before you could shoot, my toe would press the button. So! And down you go, Mr. Verbeck, through the floor and into the pit, and the trap-door comes up again. So! And you are a prisoner in the darkness. You who tried to match wits with the Black Star. It all had happened in a second of time. A section of the floor had swung downward with a crash, and Roger Verbeck had been dashed to the bottom of the pit. The one shot he fired went wild, the bullet burying itself in the ceiling. The trap-door closed again, and the black star, standing at the end of the table now, threw back his head and laughed uproariously. And the laughter died in his throat as he sank suddenly to the floor, for Muggs was through the door as Verbeck shot downward, and the butt of his automatic had crashed against the Black Star's head just behind the left ear. End of chapter 3 Recording by Roger Moline